What's up, hardcore humans? Welcome to the Hardcore Humanism Podcast. Today, we are talking with Gavin Rossdale, founding member, vocalist, guitarist, and songwriter of the rock band Bush. Bush had a huge debut album back in 1994, 16 Stone, with hit songs like Come Down, Glycerine, Machine Head, and of course, my personal favorite, Everything Zen. And now, over 25 years later, Bush is still rocking with their eighth studio album, The Kingdom, which just debuted at number one on Billboard's hard rock charts. One of the themes of this album is how we understand and cope with judgment. At Hardcore Humanism, our goal is to help you discover your purpose in life and work hard to achieve it. And how we think about and manage judgment from ourselves and others is such an important part of our purpose-driven path. Unfortunately, we all have experienced how hurtful it can be when we receive harsh and critical judgment. There may be people, even those who are close to us, who do not always understand or support the path that we are taking. In fact, we may even judge ourselves harshly and critically as we pursue our purpose. And this judgment can be so toxic that we decide it's too painful to pursue our purpose and thus never develop into our best self. Now, we do need some space in our life to be free of judgment. But judgment, if done constructively, is one of the most important ways that we can grow and move ahead towards a purpose-driven life. Being curious rather than critical about what we've done can help us learn and make adjustments to be more effective in our purpose-driven pursuits. I wanted to talk with Gavin about how he understands the notion of judgment and deals with it in his music and life. So let's hear what Gavin has to say. So let's get right into it and talk about that concept. When did you know in your life, in your career, that you were first experiencing judgment and self-righteousness from others? That's our entire life. It's our entire histories is... Our histories are littered with that. You know, it's just, it's just really a case of, you know, manifesting your own destiny and just finding, finding ways through, I think, to make it just a much more pleasurable ride. So in a way, it's, it's kind of selfish because the cool that you become or the, the, the levels we attain, it's almost like Buddhist, you know, so we're never going to be Buddha. But the goal within that system is to find the best part of yourself. And so really... You just see how we've been so manipulated into this whole thing that we, our lives aren't good enough and, you know, advertising is based on that. Now the internet is based on that. Instagram is based on that. And everyone's yearning for this sort of slightly out of reach concept, you know, that destroys our unhappiness. It's, it's all based in jealousy, that side of it, and gives people this sort of sense of judgment, self-righteousness that, I think it's really good to eradicate, you know, make everyone better and happier. and You'll feel like you're living longer. <laughs> now, it's interesting that you say that because everybody wants to be free of judgment, but no one seems to be able to do it themselves. Like we, we all seem to perpetuate this. I'm kind of curious well, well, from your perspective where, where you've come up against it. I think that it's, you know, you have a bad wolf and a good wolf in you, you know, and which wolf is stronger. It's what the one you feed, you know. So it, once you become aware of something and to the idea of being, you know, when people that judge other people, it's a really interesting thing to just stop and reflect what you're doing. And of course, it's impossible to put, maybe eradicate forever or completely out of your life. But certainly the irrational or the 
the extreme judgment or the judgment that ends up costing you and your own sort of just it's like it's swallowing a little bitter pill it's like let me eat that bitter pill and then soon enough if you swallow enough pills and you know your whole everything about you is full of judgment because it's all you've eaten that's all you've done and it's a lovely thing to let go i mean i know there's that sort of idea that you know, and I'm not a hippie. I grew up being a punk, so we were like, you know, never trust the hippies. But if you look at the way of sort of mindfulness and, and kindness towards people, and the idea that someone who you come across is maybe having a you're having a hard interaction with, you know, if you think that they're probably coming through the context of something terrible in their life, they're trying to deal with, and you, we all have this sort of labyrinth of empathy and understanding of each other and each other's potential to be having the worst day imaginable. So let me not add to your worst day imaginable. So that escalates into like a catastrophic day, you know, and that's all that happens. You know, it's all this confluence of events and synchronicities that create all this disease in the world. And so I just think it's really fun to make a record that just, it reaches something. And, and it wasn't like I sat down and intellectualized these ideas. It was just as I looked at the range of songs and different experiences within the songs, then the final song I was finishing, which is The Kingdom, it had this line that said about just people just soldier on. You know, it's like this whole concept of how we just like get through it. We don't really know how. The odds are stacked against us. We're great days, bad days. But it was like, you know, that's when I got that, that lyric, this is the goal and this is the kingdom. That's when I was like, wow, I just sat back. It was like I just encapsulated everything that I'd written about inadvertently because it's all that I think about. So therefore, it's logical that it would be, but it, what I mean is I didn't sit down and intentionally, intellectually organize it into different facets of my frustration and world, you know? And it just, they, all those songs came together through that time. And there's a couple of people that I'd been um, having, uh, dealing with, and they really just wound me up so much. I just sort of just imagined the world without them for a minute. And then I just thought that idea of just stuff. And, uh, so you can have it on a personal level, you can have it on a, uh, macro level it's just going to make the world better and i think everyone's looking away for instance to how do you contextualize covid and the, the lockdown without something meaningful in your life like you can't just have been in your house for four months and just not think about it i mean we talk about people in confinement you know prisoners people were felt really confined weren't lucky enough to have big houses big yards big lives you know and so four months cooped up you know people have been what is to come out of it? And I think that the one thing has gone is people suddenly afforded the, the luxury of taking everything around them for granted at the speed of a hat, the speed of a click, uh, a friend, a lover, a bag, you know, whatever it is you want, you know, it's all, all satisfaction available. And then at what cost, you know, and that speed of life and everyone slowed down. And for the most part, I hope people kind of had a really good awakening as opposed to sort of a, terrible revelation who the fuck did i marry <laughs> you know if they get it wrong oh my god who are you i was completely off the mark you're not that person so that stuff was interesting and i think that therefore it's weird to have that record that came out in that it was like well you know just think about a couple of things like this and see what happens and you go with it and like it's a bit like i was talking to my son about this today he's so sweet he's 14 and he sees me eating a lot less meat I'm not a vegan. I call myself a dirty vegan, you know? So, like, even, you know, I just want to eat that much, but I cook for them. So like He's like, I want to do that. And I was like, it's better for your body. It's better for your planet, better for your kids, because it's really your kids even suffering most. Better for the animals. Every 12 seconds, there's a terrible book about slaughterhouses. 
you feel bad for eating meat, but I cook everything. So I'm like a terrible person as well. But I, I say, look, if we minimise the amount we buy, if I, if I really drastically cut back the amount, I'm, I'm not adding to the, I'm more a part of the future than part of the problem, you know. And it's just if everybody gave up meat, forget cooking, because I love to cook meat, eat meat, whatever, you know, bacon, whatever. I do. But I can do without it for, for long periods of time. It would be so much better for the planet, just hands down. Yeah, hands down, it's like half of all the, the nonsense is to do with like you know animal production for people to eat. It's like, guys, just eat plants for a bit and like let's all live and have, give our grandkids. Like, we just you know, you we're just destroying everything, it's amazing. We're so destructive, yeah. You know, it's interesting that, you, that you're bringing up this thing with uh, the planet and veganism and then going back to your origins and punk. You know, one of the things that's so interesting about punk is that in some ways it shines a light on human suffering. I mean, it's so empathic at core. And yet at the same time, it sometimes feels like it has to judge something in order to be empathic. Because if you're saying, well, look at the suffering that's happening for certain people, maybe people that don't have as much money or... Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean that's, I mean, that's the thing. That's exactly it. And you've hit the nail on the head. And thank you for pointing that out. In that... You know, we want to reserve the right to our judgment. <laughs> you know, we, people, clearly there are times when you need to judge. Obviously, you know, something like a, a pedophile committing a, a, a crime, we can all judge that. That is as clear as day, you know. There's actually going to be different, you're a humanist, or I don't know what your sort of background is, but, you know. Hardcore humanism, my man. Everybody's looking at, the, at, a, at a pedophile in a different way, you know, from a, from someone who should be killed, you know, sort of going back to more medieval concepts that are a more progressive idea to sort of help some of that because they're, they're ill. To, so it's very, it runs a whole range, you know, but certainly for being judged. So I totally get it. That's the dilemma. I think that's more talking about judgment and self-righteousness without any course of logic or reason. You know, that's basically it. And I should clarify, I should clarify that because of course you can't be like, can't ever be without judgment it seems ridiculous because therefore you've got no opinion so but it just judgment just comes with more that thing of through the power of social media and the internet and stuff like that and people making such insane assumptions about people and thinking they know people i've seen it firsthand i've experienced it like firsthand next to me inadvertently read about it you know there is a cost as we've seen people discuss mental health issues you know it's like stupidly or not stupidly anthropologically social media is a huge part of the culture so therefore it's a huge source of fuel for everyone of all ages and the question is, is it good, you know, is it good carbs or bad carbs? You know, certain elements of it that, that are really going to work for you and exploratory and interesting and really didactic, whatever. But then other ones that are quite destructive and the whole self-image thing and the desire, you know, you know, success, money and cars and riches. And people have always aspired to that. So I don't think that, that will ever go away. When you guys first really hit big, I feel like, because I, I remember, if I'm remembering correctly, it was in, it was in my, my late 20s, and I did feel like you guys got sort of unfairly judged. There was a self-righteousness that was coming at you. You know, what's, <laughs> what's real and what's authentic and, and right. what's derivative. And, 
And, and I'm, I'm kind of curious just from your perspective as you were coming up and all of a sudden you had this, this success and then those kinds of feedback started coming in, how, how you guys handled that? You know, it was like, it was taxing to my ego, but I think that, I don't know, there's something valuable in that <laughs> in, in a perverse way. You know, it was sort of understandable. It was. It must have been pretty annoying, in spite of all the kind of years of, of struggle, you know, just to come out and, like, kill everyone, slay everyone and get really successful comes with a, an understandable sort of, you know, frustration. It was just more that it was just often, it began with magazines that I'd grown up on. So that was what was a bit annoying. That was a bit like, well, I'm just a kid that read your fucking magazine. And, like, paid attention, you know, checked out the bands you said I should and I shouldn't. And helped me in the sort of my own education as such of music. You know, you get NME. That's how you find out about every band that's happening, right, when you were a kid. So that was the only, like, disconnect where I was like, I felt like I was on their team. You know, I'd actually physically bought those publications. So, and then the Rolling Stone thing. But it would never have happened if we'd just been just a bit more polite and had just sold just 15,000 copies of our album and just been cool, done our thing. We would have had a really decent reception is like okay is their first record innovative are they innovative whatever are they consistent do they do they play great shows do they you know what i mean are they so it's like i couldn't understand the criteria of like even if it wasn't authentic because um that in authenticity i don't know if sort of struggling for like years and years playing your instruments and no one going nowhere isn't making it authentic i don't i don't really know what it is and then it's a question of sound stuff it's like Music is a relay race, you know, of culture. And so inevitably everyone has pieces of pieces of pieces in their music. And it's funny because now my kid's 14, he's reading some, he's really loving, he's loving Green Day. So I'm like, and then uh, Blink, Blink 182, and I was like, that's cool, that's cool, but like, check out. So I'm playing like the Sex Pistols, Zillow's Clash, getting into like X-ray specs, and then the beginning of Psychedelic Furs, you know, Gang of Four. So if you like guitars, He's playing like, he's really liking punk music. I said, but this is where it comes from. And this is where it went. This, now this is public image. And that's where this guy went. And they're playing My Way by Sid. Vicious, that, you know, classic, you know, which shoots the crowd with a gun and all that stuff. So it's really fun. And you, you hear it. He'll play me a band. I'm like, oh, it's terrible. Like, he'll play me a new metal band. I'm like, listen, this is Sepultura, right? Now, let's listen to this. This is what it is. This is where it's all from. And... It's beautiful. Just understand this is the fountain of it. This is the fountain. And you're, you're drinking over here. It's cool. I understand it's your generation's version of that. But listen to the, the thickness, like molasses. This one's a little skinny. This is molasses. You know, check it out. So it's just really fun doing that. And, like, I guess I didn't have anyone or enough people doing that for me. So I don't know. It's like I found all that stuff. So, yeah, whatever. Yeah, you know, you can complain about stuff. I mean, here I am today. You're talking to me over this record. I've had a great holiday with my kids. I, I just can't be a pig. You know, I can't rewrite. I can't do that button. You would have liked. Could I have gone back and rewritten a few reviews? Of course I fucking could. They destroyed me, but they didn't kill me. You know? And that's the point is that just adds to my whole artistic thing on the side of the people because I think that when you're, maybe when you're an exalted darling of everything, you sort of, you live literally in an ivory castle, you know? And then when you're me, it's like I've got three kids and a single and I was making that record and 
the world was upside down, you know, there'd been police killings for years, you know, there was gang warfare everywhere, everyone's robbing everyone, no one's got enough, I can't find love, everyone's going crazy, I had this crazy girlfriend, she left me in the most dramatic, crazy way, like terrible way, and I had a public divorce. So he makes you like, I should be like, swanning it in, the, in Antibes in the south of France, like drinking fucking pins or like cold Pinot Grigio. But instead I'm like on the kind of like revolving street of life and broken alleyways and, you know, bowling and, you know, ball, you know, broken lanes and misdirected things and makes it beautiful. And I think that what, it, that's what people can relate to because that's generally the chaos of most people's lives because we all live on this, this edge. We're, we're always on an edge of like precipice of like happiness, you know, light, uh, darkness. Oh, I mean, a terrible day. Why is terrible? Today so terrible. And I find that roller coaster of life is just consistent with everyone. And, and we, so that's the more I get into it, you know, the kind of really calm person. I'm just always like, basically, all I do is look for the joy. And when I don't have the joy, I just hold on tight. <laughs> And I just try and be conscious of things. But, but that's all there is. And the only regrets anyone should have is literally things that they don't do. The things that they don't do, that's what you should regret. You should do, you know, within reason and not hurting other people, obviously. I mean, to, you know, in an interesting kind of way, challenging yourself to just do things that give you, make you happy. Like, will this event make me happy? Yeah. Go do that. It's amazing. You know? Yeah. It- yeah, you know, it's interesting because you're bringing up when you're talking about the Sex Pistols and you're talking about the Clash and you're talking about like some of the, the static that, that you got early on. I always kind of thought that it was interesting because I always thought that it was because you were too good looking in the sense that I think that when I read some of the things about you, I was kind of like, people are having trouble conceptualizing that this guy could have any authentic pain because he's so good looking. Like, it's almost like, I don't know to what extent I like, like there's some people from the punk movement. I'm not going to say who you can, you can use your imagination when they're screaming about something, you're looking at them and you're like, yeah, I, I totally see that. You know what I mean? But when it's you, I, I, I think that some people might be looking at it and be like, I don't know, man, how, how upset could you be? Cause you think to yourself, like, if I looked like that, I wouldn't be upset at all. And, and I honestly, like, I, I swear to you, I believe that that was a big thing because I think that we have this natural assumption that if somebody is, I'm, I'm totally serious about saying this. And I imagine as an artist, it must be frustrating because there is almost like a barrier. Like there's this sense of like, how do you buy into the fact that this guy's pain is authentic? Do you know what I'm saying? Right, right. Of course. It's very clear. That's a very challenging thing. <laughs> interesting and hilarious concept but i think it's definitely a sort of reference and i do know what you mean and i I suppose it's better if i don't know you're either gonna be like like comedians need to look a certain way and then uh you know jim gaffigan is really funny and all he talks about is how fat he is and why he's so fat and if he was really skinny and really buff he wouldn't have an act he'd have like 12 minutes left so his whole thing, his whole shtick is eating, overeating cheese and how fat he is. And he's brilliant. He's brilliant. But it's like, that's his whole act. So I hear what you're saying. For me to like overly analyze it or discuss it any longer seems really so self-navel gazing. I'm just kind of, can you ask me anything else now? <laughs> like, what, what the fuck can I say to that? 
Again, you know, <laughs> no, no, no. I, I just I do I remember. Just wanted... I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing on that. Yeah. Of that, I do remember when I did the spin cover once, and two things happened in that interview that really always annoyed me for the years. Right, and even told Craig, who was the editor at the time of Spin. First off, he compared me, Black Francis from the Pixies and Kurt's lyrics, three sets of lyrics, and he got my lyric wrong. So he was like comparing me, but he because. I said, here's tomorrow. He, he, he got the lyric wrong. So he's trying to intellectualize against me as a lyricist. Meanwhile, I got my lyrics wrong. Then he said that I was inauthentic because we were crossing Leicester Square and he literally stepped in front of the cab and I just pulled him back because I didn't want him to get hit by the cab. And he wrote it that I was inauthentic because I would have, you know, anyone who's real would have let him be hit by the car. Like if some Dadaist <laughs> concept, right? And on the cover of the magazine, it said, don't hate him because he's beautiful. Just wait, I just say, because you said that. I always thought was such an ignorant writer that he just fucking, what was I meant to do? I should have, just, I mean, obviously I never would have done that, let anyone be here. It's my, my natural instinct, you stand next to him, you pull him back, don't you? You know, run, you know, trample women and children, you know. It's like, no, you just got to do your thing. So like, I saved him. And he got my lyric wrong. That's like, wow, you're welcome. Yeah, so anyway. It's a tough thing, but I think, again, it gets back into this idea of judgment and self-righteousness. Like, okay, so in this case, it's, it's, it's based in some ways on a positive stereotype of how you look. But by the way, the research on positive stereotyping is that it's horribly damaging to people. Like anytime you put somebody in a box of any kind, even if it's well-intended, it's good. And I think this is an example of where, you know, people may have just assumed, oh, you know, he's one, again, like you think about punk, it's like, no, he's one of the people that had things go for him. Like, you know, we're people less so. And even just that separation right away, uh, well, it gets back into that issue of judgment. Sure, 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 sure. The only way through that is to, as we say, the proof is in the pudding in the sense that if you've been through things, and I, my, I, my premise is that everyone's been through things. I mean, I've had a lot of people die around me, friends die. I grew up with my father. There's single father who was a workaholic. You know, there's lots of easy patterns to look at to figure everything out. But the only thing that really matters is that you find a way as an artist to express yourself honestly. And irrespective, you're not talking about anything that anybody, your second, third party writes about it. You know, you know music, I make a song and I play it and someone either digests it and likes it or digests it and throws it out or throws it out and discards it. So that's all it is. And what, all you want is that the listener gets a sense of something real that suits them. It just, it, that's what they need. They go, I hear this music and it does something for me, helps me in some way. And I get to see people for every day. It's quite amazing. I start people come up to me all the time and I get all the lovely poets who kind of want to come up and say hello and thank me for a certain song, this song, that song. And they're all different songs, but they've, they've resonated with people in different ways. And so I always was really struck by that. It's the most beautiful thing for a musician or anyone or a songwriter to have people recognize exactly the essence of what you do. Because the essence of what I do, put a melody to music, like a wandering minstrel and traveling around towns with medicine, and people take that medicine or they don't. And We've been lucky enough to have an amazing career, amazing career. So that's what I mean. I, my, my total focus is on like the wow of it and the like, just keep at it, just keep, keep going because it's really inspiring to do it. And it's the best way to, to not 
stay sedentary and sort of stop or lose fire. It's just keep going, keep going, and just one day burn out like a comet and just disappear. I mean, have there been times, I mean, obviously, by definition, your career has lasted a long time. So it's, it's, but that doesn't mean that there weren't times where you felt that fire go out a little bit, or you, you started to doubt. Were well, there it wasn't, times? no, no, the fire, the fire's never dimmed. What's happened is it's like, it's, I, I liken it to being, it's a carousel. And so you, you maintain your position, you maintain your focus, your integrity, your quality. And you sometimes have to toil through darkness. You know, you might bring a song out that doesn't resonate enough with people. You thought, you know, I've had like 21 top 40 hits that I've written, but I've had more out. I've had like 30, I don't know, 35, 40 songs probably. So it's just like plenty of times it doesn't, well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I have quite a good run actually, but I don't know what the negative is, but a few negatives, obviously. And that's what happens those times. I don't think those songs were particularly like one was way better than the other. It's usually much more this sort of a Malcolm Gladwell-esque sense of the confluence of things. You know, it's it's by being, you know, like, who would have thought that the kingdom, you know, I've got race wars, star wars, planet wars, mine wars in, in, uh, in bullet holes. I've got like the isolationism in uh, flowers on a grave. The kingdom is let's rise up, you know, for righteousness and for good and for the common people. The record is, is ridiculous like this. It has its own power. It's like, I'm not even remotely that smart to have predicted any of this. But what I can tell you is that these were things that were in my heart, you know, that I was thinking. There was, you know, we already saw Eric Garner being killed. There's already were race wars. And that's this point where I saw Rodney King in 1992. Was it 94, 92? We're used to that, you know. I grew up in North London, you know, in Kilburn, Swiss Cross, where I grew up the Protestants and the Catholics, you know, bombs and like, you know, the Orange Day parades and, and tension. One pub's at IRA, Biddy Mulligan's at IRA. One pub, the Cock Tavern, is like the uh, Protestants. Yeah, that's tension. There's tension. That's when the 70s, and that was it. That's why punk was so amazing for me, so liberating, because it was like this youth movement of like, wow, like we were shocking. It was like shocking what was happening. And, and the music that went with it, you know, rebellious and, you know, mavericks. And it just, whatever anyone splintered off into. And for me, you know, I didn't want to do, I don't want to do punk music, but I just have that spirit inside. I have that spirit, I have that fire. That fire was some punk music, 100%. And reggae. You know, just, just so that people know who, who weren't necessarily there during that, what was happening right before punk, such that oh. that punk was so important? Because I think a lot of people hear it and they, they absorb it in terms of the music, but they may not absorb it in terms of the cultural context. Well, it was more, it was more um, showbiz stuff, I think. Queen, softer stuff, I think. The problem for me is that there wasn't any music for me. It was just my parents' music. It was, music wasn't a thing for me. I didn't pay that much attention. I loved the tune. I mean, don't get me wrong. I loved it when we played Roberta Flack. I loved it when we played Queen. They only had about 10 records, but they were really good ones. And uh, ELO, I loved ELO. Amazing. When they basically went on this TV show and Sex Pistols, and he started swearing and saying, you dirty, you know, and then all the papers every day you'd see, that was when it was like the, the water cooler was life, you know, like we, it was so unsophisticated then. Like if something happened like that, everybody knew about it. The whole fucking world knew about it, you know? So when they went on TV and you saw them swear on TV, it's just like, what is happening? And like, that was with my, just living with my dad, 
You know, it was like, had no parental guidance at that point. It was amazing. You know, free to go out from like eight in the morning to 11 at night, 12 at night, we just roam the streets where we lived, sit on street corners, play football. I was on three football teams, and then you sit on all the estates. It's just a weird life, strange life. That's what you do. Sit around like kids, just, and then like wait for other kids to walk through your neighborhood and scare them off. But I don't think anyone ever did, really. You know, just aggressive. Yeah, and it's interesting because now with the internet, I think in a positive way, you can find a lot of representation. You know, you can find something that feels like if if you if you put in the time, you can find something that feels like it represents you. What was it like sitting there? And again, you're like, the music doesn't represent me. The government doesn't represent me. I don't think my my families get it. I don't even know if my friends get it. Like you're just kind of sitting there alone. What is that spark when you're seeing like? What does it mean when you see the Sex Pistols doing that? Right, like, like what? Well, what, so what it's so interesting to say that because what all the people that I grew up with, for example, I grew up amongst all these like housing estates, like projects. So my dad had a little house. I wasn't in the projects. I was in a small house next to the projects. Right, so it's a nice, very small room, very small house. But that's where we would all be. So they all liked customizing cars, rollerblading, and funk music and dressing like you were rich because they were poor. You know, we were poor. I was middle class, but they were more working class, pure working class. I thought it was, you know what I mean, just like middle class regular. My dad was working. Punk was my, they knew I loved it. It it wasn't like a secret, but it was like, I was the only one out of the gang that liked punk music. I was the only one in the gang who liked the local youth club, Jewish youth club, the punk girls that would come along, you know. That was my sort of like, that was like, oh my gosh, she's so beautiful. I love her. Yeah, I probably couldn't talk to her, but I used to see that's girls I liked. And they would laugh because they literally, they'd wear the Farrah, which is the top, the, the, the beachy, and they'd all be like soccer fans, soccer hooligan types, you know what I mean? And like, so it was brilliant. So, so punk for me and music was a really personal, introverted world. And uh, my sister's boyfriend had a punk band called the nobodies that 14 hours is like used to go to rehearsals with them and like got that damn pissy smell and dark rooms with shitty sound and muffled vocals i just really liked it you know i really liked it It just like i was like felt really yeah i was like i felt home like i still do that any rehearsal rooms i go to i just something about that i don't know i just feel really tuned to that it feels really i feel connected to it yeah, and, and it's interesting how you're describing it, that idea of, I just feel connected to it. And you know, bringing it back to the idea of the judgment is that it's so important that we let the artists express themselves like fairly openly because you never know who's going to be connected to what. You know what I mean? Like who, who knows what would have happened for you if you didn't have that? I'm not saying that it would have been something horrible, but it, it may not have been nearly as good. And, and that's why whenever I see people... I think it's saying, cathartic. That's for me, really super cathartic to let it out, to have a, an outlet for it. And I think that's a really, that's been the most, the best thing in my life that keeps me in my sort of most healthy is the ability to have a sort of an outlet to purge and to... I like it, it's like, sort of like primal screaming. I mean, it's a funny job, isn't it? You know what I mean? I like, write down an idea and then try and 
sing it like plaintive to music, like it's gonna, like it's gonna just save me if I just sing it like that. It's gonna feel better, and it does. It's really just lets it. You let it fly, and when you let it fly, you're just at your best. Yeah, and so it's interesting where we would judge what makes people feel like this particular music lets it fly for them. Why is it any more authentic that someone lets the Sex Pistols get them that feeling versus Bush? You know what I mean? Because that's, it's, it's whatever's authentic to them. Yeah, 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 of, you know course, I mean? of course, of course. And, and, you know, and what we try and do, it's not sort of a terrible gene pool system, but you do like to, it's better the band for everyone to share, and there can be many bands, but it's better to not encourage the ones that are really not making it work. Just go with the ones that like blow you away. You know, if you just encourage Tool a lot, you, maybe you could like, there's five other bands you don't have to give as much love to. Just do everything for Tool. If you're on the fence about a band, give them money to Tool. So it's my understanding that David Bowie told you to outlive your critics, which is obviously a very powerful thing coming from somebody like the late David Bowie. So I'm curious about that experience. Yeah, we, we toured with him in South America. I think we did two runs with him. It was like a dream come true just to get a chance to watch him every night and then just spend time with him. You know, obviously, well, not obviously. That was the first record my aunt gave to me and a really important record and Ziggy Stardust. And I just always, always loved him. You know, just always thought he was the most incredible artist. And so then to go on tour with him was just like, what? And then like go out to lunch with him or go for dinner with him or talk to him backstage stuff like that and then we stayed in in contact for well 20 years after that for quite a while well, we've stayed in contact ever since and in fact i owed him an email which is really uh, frustrating you know uh, death is so selfish you know but i wrote him one time or rang him or saw him or something whatever and i said to him i was getting something else that happened i was like and i just thought he'd really creepy to us that's what he said outlive your critics and he's and the funny thing is that I, never, I haven't necessarily outlived them in terms of like their time on earth but definitely not as many of them are writing from fanzines or papers or whatever now i definitely outlasted most of them yeah and what when he said that what was the what was the spirit behind it was it listen you just got to keep soldiering on like yeah, I'm, I'm I, think assuming so. I, mean, I think clearly i took it as it happens you can't do anything about it so I just stopped. I haven't. I never read a review, or I rarely read anything. I never read any pieces, anything I say. I don't follow. I don't. I probably should. I probably would be better at it if I did. But I don't check myself and go back. I hope to not repeat myself too often. I, I try not to. But certain things, certain answers get. You're going to inevitably get the same thing, replies. But so. I don't read that much because I think that if you're going to be seduced by it, you have every right to be smacked in the face by it. It's like the best thing just to like try and do. I'm so simple. I like try and write really good songs that really, really, really try and make the words good, you know, work. And I try and do really good shows whenever I get the chance to go on stage. So that's all I got to do really. That's it. And I'm just not a jerk. If you meet me in public and I say hello, you know what I mean? It's just like, I'm, pretty easy going you know so it's just all in all i think i'm, I'm really love my life and uh dark days are dark enough or uncomfortable enough you know we want to have uncomfortable days many of days that are like so good i just that's all i care about is just having that and i just being with my kids for 
last few weeks and just have an amazing time with them, you know, and just trying to get the most out of life all the time. Yeah. Has having kids changed how you approached your music? You know, again, I've been asked that and I apologize for repeating myself, but kids for me, I just want them to be really proud of me. So they, they up the ante and everything you do because you don't want to think you suck. So I'd be destroyed. My son who loves music, you know, he's loving all these different bands right now. I want to have a record that is like, that he's like proud of, you know, if his friends play it. I don't want like some like nonsense for him to play and his friends be like, unlucky. Well, they've got some classics back in the day, you know, like, you know what I mean? I don't want that to be terrible. So, you know, I just, I just want them to be proud of him. And now it's interesting that you say that because that's a situation where judgment is motivating, right? Because I, I think anybody, <laughs> I mean, anybody judgment, who's yeah. a parent, yeah, right? To, yeah, fear of judgment. Yeah, I mean, every, oh, everybody yeah, who's yeah, a parent yeah. like knows that feeling. Like it's just well, love, like, lo- love makes you want to be a better person, right? Doesn't it? Yeah. Love makes you want to be a better person. No, and, and so I'm, I'm kind of curious then, like how do you let those judgments in, right? Because in, in theory it's a little tricky to like know like, okay, which judgments work and like which judgments don't, but that's well, one that they, I feel they, like they, every well, hold on, hold on. We've got to get, we've got to get, um, there's a big difference. I mean, we're talking and it's not a semantics, you know, like judgment is to say something has a right or a wrong. Mm. So that's what judgment is. It's, it's wrong for this reason is right for that reason. But I think we can have an opinion about something and this is, you feel that there's the reason why this doesn't work, that doesn't work. I mean, you can't lose the ability to discern the good from the no one cares about it. You know, whatever it is, whether it's a freaking knife or a cheese sandwich, you know, you might as well go for the good one and you can certainly assess the ones that you don't want. And that's, that's not judgment as much as like straight up opinion. You know, judgment I'm seeing definitely is, you know, when people... I was coming from from seeing a situation where I was being, I am judged and I've been judged as a human being incorrectly. And that's nothing to do with how I change a tire. It's actually the opposite of how I change a tire. It's how someone thinks I change a tire. And so that's what I mean. That's what I call vac- you know, judgment. You know, judgment in a vacuous sense. And in a sense that you, you can, one person looks at the situation, judges it as if they haven't, ever dropped a glass, broken a bottle, fucked up, made errors of judgment of their own actions. So things like that. And that's what I was, that's that self-righteous thing. And it often goes hand in hand with people who feel very self-righteous and very perfect, usually hiding the most, the most guilty, because the anger is guilt, you know what I mean? So anger, it's guilty people. And then self-righteous to be, to be, putting me down i've been i've been in that position on a personal level so it's not as sort of wide ranging for clarification as to say across the board we lose all opinions <laughs> that's but do you, do you feel comfortable talking about like when there's been something where you feel like okay i'm being judged and it's coming from that place of guilt <laughs> oh yeah for me well you know a couple of things but it doesn't matter what they are it's just other people are dealing with on a personal level, nothing to do with the world. It's a personal level, and things didn't go right in both situations, one the longer term, one a shorter term. And just human politics and human emotions and human fears, and I'm not mad at anyone. I just understand who I am through my interactions with people. And 
the way that I operate, the way that I'm, you know, how, how I've matured and the sort of sense of peace I have now. And I, I realize, you know, what a, a young, younger buck I was and probably headstrong and very selfish at times, very self-oriented and lacking empathy. And I think that when you go through big things, divorces, deaths, losing parents, uh, losing friends, illnesses, suicides, drug overdoses, that cumulative wealth of terrible information and terrible abilities to deal with things or, you know, terrible skills in dealing with the terrible, you know, we, you know, I'm really good in a crisis, you know, I'm really good when the worst happens, you know, I've had, you know, from everything around me and everyone around me die and stuff like that. And, and I'm always the one in those situations that is the most pragmatic, you know, and just as like, I can handle it, you know, I know how to call coroners, register deaths, do uh, uh, services, I've done it a few times. <laughs> that stuff just is just, I don't know, that's what I think about, They're those situations and they give us a wealth of, of information. We can use that wealth to just be better people. That, that it brings it around to that. That's what I think what, what spins it around to that, that focus. And so I'm glad we clarified the judgment thing. No, that's, that's a, and honestly, that's a huge distinction. I mean, I think on a, both on a personal level and a societal level, the difference between an opinion, meaning like I prefer this versus that, versus a judgment, meaning like I give, I validate this or that. And the ability to say, hey, this isn't it's right for me. And wrong. Yeah, it's right yeah. and wrong. Yeah, but it might be for someone. You know? Yeah. And wanting your kids to say, oh, this is for you or this is for them. Like, but they could say, hey, this isn't for me without necessarily being like, but therefore it's wrong or it has no value, which is obviously very different. One of the things I would kind of want to know is that how do you, a lot of people who are listening to this are going are gonna to wonder, okay, but like, how does he do that? Like, how do you stay in that mindset? Because as you, you said, you faced a lot of things right? It could have been very easy for you to go down a much darker path, a much, you know, like uh, very different from what you're describing now. Do you do anything specific on a day-to-day basis that, that keeps you in that mindset? Whenever I spiral inwards, I just force myself out of it with, with perspective of all the, just simply the great people around me. I just have to sort of zone in on a few people my kids. But I don't know, I just feel that having a good appreciation for what you have keeps, you're allowed to continue to add to the fire that keeps you going. You know, I've just got this, I don't know what the sense is of just, if I were to become more, more pig-like, it would disappear faster. This was sort of almost Machiavellian plan that's to sort of stay in this really exalted space of being this working musician with this great life. It comes, you know, I can't be a dick to everyone. I don't want to be a dick to anyone. But what I mean is that I know that throughout my career, like in, in my world, I should have a, you know, really, I mean, we're just cool to everyone. My whole, me, my whole team, everyone. We just go around the world and we're just like, we glide through everyone's lives and we make everyone's lives easy because we just know there's like, 3,500 people behind us that really want our spot. And I just think that the more you're a dick, the more chance you're just not going to have that life because they'll be like, you know what, why are we going to deal with them? I mean, we're not in that position of being a stadium band that can be difficult as that, like that. You know, we're more in like the fist fight of life that we just got to be cool. 
but that's also okay. I mean, why shouldn't we be cool? Yeah, no, it's, it's interesting because I'm a, a psychologist most of the time. And one of the things that I really try to help people with is explaining how that kindness and connecting in with that love and connecting in with that kindness can be done from a Machiavellian perspective, you know, because it's, because it really does work better because everybody wants to, everybody wants to feel that way. Even when people are acting like jerks at the end of the day, they, they still are people who want to be loved and thought of in that way, you know? And it's such a, it's such a simple, but effective, if you can, if you could stay on that wavelength, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's it's not, it's not easy. And I think it's a, I, what I, but isn't what I find most interesting exactly on this topic I'm so happy about is that the whole discussion this is basically mental health and when was this like five years ago this wasn't a, a large enough loud enough topic so I think the mere fact that this is a, a viable conversation essential conversation that everyone's having that everyone's having is such a beautiful thing and good for you man I gotta say good for you doing this and adding to that chorus of support it's a really good thing no, no, I appreciate it. And listen, I appreciate you stepping up because, you know, it's when somebody like myself, like says it to somebody I'm working with, it's like, all right, you know, but they're, you know, they're a professionals field. But when, when somebody like you saying, look, I've been through death, I've been through suicide, I've been through addiction with, you know, different people in my life and I, and I'm, and here's what I do and, and here's where it got me. It's so powerful. So I, I appreciate the fact that you're like stepping up and being like, hey, I'm willing to talk about this stuff because, you know, look, there's once you're somebody whose music has touched people, that bond is unbreakable and people are going to listen more, you know? And if, and if there's someone out there, just like you were back in the day with punk, that's like, oh, like there's that spark that lights up in me that maybe it's going to be okay because Gavin Rossdale says so. Right. Whereas maybe they wouldn't have listened to anybody else. That to me is like the pay dirt. That's, that's the whole shebang. You know what I mean? That's where the power of the music comes full circle. Yeah. And that's one thing resonates, and especially like with Flowers on a Grave, that whole isolationism seemed to really connect with people. Like, I, it was like, I was amazed. Like, it really, you know, for me, you make brushstrokes and you just try and keep as honest as, and clear, like I'm saying, as you can and they put it in as in interesting way as possible. But you're always describing common emotions and it's beautiful when people connect to it. I love being like that because I don't, you know, everyone has different, different things they do with their music and their bands. And I love how we're as a band, but really cinematic and powerful. There's always in there this sort of, and it feels like, uh, like words to hang glide from, you know? I like that. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, well, listen, thank, you, thank you for having me and, you know, good yeah. luck with, with the whole thing, you know. Yeah, no, you too, man. I hope uh, it's just continued success. And anytime you're doing something, if you ever want to come back on, we'd love to talk to you again. All right, man. Thanks so much. Right, Take care. Right, take care. Bye-bye. So there you have it. Gavin Rossdale talking about how he understands and copes with judgment. One of the things I really appreciated about Gavin's story was his description of how his punk rock roots influenced him. And I think in many ways this informed one of the biggest takeaways that I had from talking with Gavin, the idea that having an opinion is not the same thing as being critical. And by having an opinion without judging, Gavin's approach can fall into that sweet spot of giving feedback while coming from a place of empathy and kindness. 
One way that we can put that approach into motion for ourselves is before we engage in an activity to further our purpose, like playing a sport, practicing an instrument, or going to a social event, we can remind ourselves why we're doing that particular thing, how it fits into our purpose. Maybe we can be respectful towards ourselves for daring to achieve our purpose. And then after the event, we can feel grateful that we tried and are working towards our purpose, and then also be curious about what we might want to do to improve upon that in the future. I want to thank my wife and Hardcore Humanism co-founder, Island Booman, for producing this podcast, and my brothers in Odd Zero for letting us use Odd Zero music. If you like what you hear in the podcast, subscribe on your favorite app, give us a rating, and write a review. And if you'd like to take the next step and make change in your life, check out the Hardcore Humanism Therapy and Coaching Program at HardcoreHumanism.com. So get at it, Hardcore Humans. See you next time.